This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just great. Hot and humid here in New York, but uh, enjoying summer. How about you? I am not enjoying summer in the sense that I've been spending a whole lot of time outside. I'm enjoying not working. Yeah. (laughs) Although yesterday I did help out at my grandparents' house and uh, we've had a lot of rain this summer and there are some low points in their yard and they have a few acres and there was lots of standing water in places where my grandfather can't mow with his mower. And so we weed-eated very large patches of ground instead of using a lawnmower. So that was fun <laughs> tiring <laughs> I'm, I'm sore today but i mean it, it's okay must be summer uh, yeah anyways uh let's go ahead and get into our episodes first we do have one person to thank we have a new apple podcast review from pat thank you pat for leaving a review for us and also just want to point out to everybody else we are only one rating away from 200 we are currently at 199 under the little five star rating on apple podcast so Maybe if we could get to 200 this week, that'd be pretty awesome. Or uh, past 200, even better. <laughs> we'll give you a shout um, out. I mean, we'll give everyone yeah. else a shout out too, but <laughs> if you are 200. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got two episodes today that it, it, it lined up to where we're doing two producers cut episodes. And this first one was actually pretty lengthy. It was 33, almost 34 minutes long, as opposed to the normal 21 to 22. Uh, this is Angry Andy. It aired on April 19th of 2012, was directed by Claire Scanlon, and was written by Justin Spitzer. So Andy and Aaron have returned from Florida, and Andy's having a very difficult time coping with Nellie's presence in the office. It creates problems for him both in and outside of work. Kelly decides who to date, Jim and Pam's handsome pediatrician, Ravi, or a very jealous Ryan. Just starting off, Andy and Aaron are back. I want to try and touch on all the additions from the producer's cut since it's basically deleted scenes for this episode. Uh, So one of the very first producer's cut things added to this episode, when Andy and Aaron show up, Andy tries to tell everybody the story of how he surprised Aaron and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But then Stanley interrupts him, says, how long the drive? How long was the drive? And Oscar interrupts to say, oh, my lumber would have been killing me after that long a drive. And then Kevin interrupts and says, oh, Oscar, you should get the lumbar cushion that my dad has. Let me struggle to remember the name for you for a second. And then Dwight interrupts to ask about how many times he had to fill up his gas tank. And then lastly, Angela interrupts to ask about how much that would have cost as far as gas prices go. How much did gas cost down in Florida? And so all this time, Andy was trying to continue, but he kept getting interrupted. And so he says, you know what? I'll just email you all the story. So... There's that. People seem to be generally happy that they're together again, too, now that they've officially become boyfriend-girlfriend after he has uh, broken up with Jessica in the previous episode. And especially Phyllis seemed to have a big smile on her face about that, which is nice because she does have a vested interest in Aaron from the brief period of time where they thought they might have been mother-daughter. But things are not all happy-go-lucky, hunky-dory. Andy has to deal with the reality that Nellie has taken over his office and it doesn't really even occur to him until he sees Kevin is wearing his sweater and Dwight has bubbleized a figurine that he had in his office of old salty. Uh, so the, the very first thing on his agenda is to deal with Nellie. Yeah. So Andy enters his or maybe Nellie's office and introduces himself and thanks Nellie for watching the office in his absence and says, great, I would love my office back. Thanks for your help. And she repeatedly says no. 
when Andy goes to Robert about this, Robert instead reprimands Andy for leaving, and he tells Andy that he's appreciated his romantic quest. He gets that. But you know what? We live in a time of phones and computers and, and written language. Just tell her how you feel that way rather than abandoning your job and your employees. You know, you can still do the romantic thing, just do it from Scranton. Mm-hmm. And that, that scene was actually part of the producer's cut as well. Right. And so I, I just wanted to point that out real quick because that gives a li- us a little bit of insight into why Robert was so keen on choosing Nellie instead, aside from his sexual attraction. Right. And Andy swears, you know what, this will never happen again. And he swears, even if she's taken, like in Taken, by Albanian human traffickers, he won't, you know, he, he won't do anything about it, <laughs> which I find unlikely. But he's he will never leave the office again, he swears. But Robert is still uh, very wary and still not, at this point, choosing one or the other. He he does try to confront Nellie, and she says no to him. He says, well, I'm not accustomed to being told no. and. Nellie says, well, you better get accustomed to it because then it feels so good when they finally say yes. And that seems to maybe be hinting that, hey, Robert, I know that you're into me, so deal with a no now and you'll get a yes later. Like, that's sort of the way I took it. Not necessarily thinking that Nellie will actually go through with that, but that this is something we talked about in our last episode. Nellie apparently is really good at knowing what people want and knowing what to say in order to convince them and manipulate them of what she wants. And so it works out in her favor this time. She's like Robert in that way. They're both very uh, aware of, of people's perceptions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of how Andy handles this at first. I mean, obviously the episode is titled Angry Andy, so we know we're going to get that at some point. But to start with... Andy is very calm, cool, and collected about this. He he walks into Nellie's office and he says, you know, thank you. I, I appreciate that you have stepped into this role in my absence. You've done it admirably, and now I would just like it back. And he, he tries to be as calm about this as he can. Uh, and then eventually, after he he's bothered her once or twice, she starts docking his pay. And then he realizes just how deep this has gone because Nellie has won over a large part if not all of the office, because Nellie calls for Angela to lower his uh, his uh, pay by $100. And so Angela says, okay, on it. And then Andy says, okay, well, turnabout's fair play. I've got the same sort of pull around here as you do because it's technically my job. Angela, lower Nellie's salary by $100. No response. And so this is really like it's one step after another, one thing after another that is building and building towards Andy's rage. And part of that is this has affected him outside of the workplace. Uh, Sexually, he was not able to uh, perform with Aaron the night before. They were expecting to go on like a hot date and have a good time. Now they're back in Scranton. They're back together. uh, They're excited to be together. And Andy was just not able to do what he wanted to do. and so. Aaron is trying to be cool about it. You know, it's not a big deal. It happens. We'll be ready the next time. That kind of thing. But this is just revealing that Andy is like really not, not just like, I don't know. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to think of the right words. He, he's hurt by his coworkers and especially by Robert and Nellie not doing right by him. Uh, but it's also like, affecting him psychologically to where even outside of the workplace, he's thinking his thoughts are on this to the point that he can't perform in other areas. I feel like we can kind of see him going through his anger management checklist. You know, uh, he's, he's, he's really trying. 
to not get angry, he goes down to Hank, the uh, security guard, and asks him to remove the trespasser. Hank goes up and he says, well, you know what? She's sitting there like a manager and you're standing here like me. So Hank doesn't really see anything amiss. Of course, we, we know that Hank could be a bit unreliable. Okay, so that didn't work. And Andy doesn't believe that she can dock his pay. So he, he stays in for $200 worth. When she ups the demerit to $10,000, he does run out of the office because Angela appears to be docking his pay. So, as you said, it he is upset with his coworkers. I don't think he is letting them know that, but we can see him try to rally them. He tries to get them to do Rudy from Rudy <laughs> to uh, mm-hmm. throw down their jerseys. I think this was, was producer's cut, correct? Um, yeah, it was. He, he gets them all Dunder Mifflin jerseys, just like in, in Rudy, and that they're going to walk into the manager's office and throw down their, their jersey. If, if Andy can't have this job, I, you know, I, I stand with Andy. And they refuse, at first especially. And it's, it's just, he can't get them to do anything right by him. And he's starting to get really frustrated. Right. And there, there's a scene where he's playing with the stress ball pretty violently at Aaron's desk. Uh, we see in a talking head that Aaron is aware of Andy's past anger issues, because th- this would have been before she actually appeared in the picture. Remember, the punching the hole in the wall initially was season three, and Aaron didn't show up till the end of season five. So uh, she does know about this, and she does, she's there to remind him to be calm, take a breath, it's okay. Uh, but then eventually... Aaron has had enough. And that's what sort of instigates the angry Andy part of this episode. Uh, Nellie, after revealing to the whole office that Andy has been struggling sexually with Aaron, Nellie has come up to Aaron and let loose a sexual innuendo about big, bigger, biggest uh, in reference to calendar dates and writing them the British way rather than the American way where we put month, day, and then year. And so after Nellie says, sexual innuendo unintended Aaron gets pissed off and she lashes out she throws her phone like if if you don't like the way I take messages you do it uh here's your memos Andy takes this as permission from Aaron to get upset as well and for a second for a split second I am 100% behind Andy Mm -hmm. because I I feel he's completely justified in his anger like if there was a time for Andy to get angry it's not when his phone is stuck in the ceiling (laughs) I mean that's a prank but this is so far beyond a prank this is uprooting Andy's life and what he worked so hard to do the whole first half of the season was about Andy trying to prove his ability as manager and for the most part he'd done a great job of it so for him to all of a sudden be removed from that he's perfectly deserved uh, deserving of some anger and I like that he tells everybody in the office, our sex life is none of your business because it's not. That whole conference room meeting was a joke. And the fact that Robert was sort of egging them on was even worse. <laughs> like, I'm kind of heated a, l- a little <laughs> bit right now just thinking about it. Then Andy does take it a little bit too far. He smashes a picture frame. He punches the hole uh, in the wall in the exact place he did back in season three. Daryl comments, he does not like that wall. <laughs> um so, I mean, yes, he gets too far with it, but for a second there, man, Andy, get as angry as you need to. I felt the exact same thing, because what I believe the first thing he says is, is what you said, our sex life is nobody's business. Mm-hmm. And, oh my gosh, yes, that conference room meeting is so inappropriate. No, none of this needed to happen. Nellie taking his job, ever making fun of him not being able to have sex because Nellie took his job. Like, it's all just very personal and very inappropriate. 
And I also like that even as mad as Andy is, and he does get too mad, he does get a little bit violent, but Aaron tries to chime in and help him. She says that Andy's the boss, not Nellie. And then Andy yells at Aaron and he says, don't protect me. I'm a man. I can do this myself. But he catches himself and he apologizes for his misdirected anger. I'm not actually mad at you. I'm just mad and I'm sorry. I take it back. But I'm mad at everyone else. And <laughs> I'm also gl- I also like that he tells his dad who is he was yes. talking to on the phone at the yeah, time. I was get to- Go to hell, dad. I'm taller than you. <laughs> <laughs> he was on the phone when Aaron lashed out first and he like put his phone down and then picked it right back up and go to hell. I, it's just that was pretty funny. But I was I was proud of him for catching his anger at Aaron mm-hmm. and like, oh, I'm not actually mad at you. I'm sorry. You know, and she seemed fine with that. It was like, no, I right. go for it. Yell. You're, yeah, you're allowed, it. you know. You're justified in this moment. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, Andy's story does end. And I, I say unfortunately, there's a little bit of a bittersweetness to it. Robert brings Aaron and Andy into Nellie's office. It is officially Nellie's office now and says Nellie is going to be manager, but we would like to keep you on and put you back on the sales team as you were before. And Andy's response, much like Nellie's response was to him earlier, no. And he repeats no. To every statement, every offer that is made to him, no. Because what Andy realizes is he's done so much for these people, and here they are willing to do nothing for him. And so he is in control in this moment. He's not going to give them what they want. He says no, and yes, it leads to him being fired. But he says in a brief talking at the end, I feel in control for the first time in a long time. Um, You know, he didn't yield to someone telling him what to do or someone expecting something of him as he's done so much of his life and so much of this season. Uh, Yeah, he's jobless now, but he does feel better about himself for standing up for himself. And he tells Aaron that everything downstairs is okay too. So uh, they, they rush off to have a good time together. And thankfully, Andy appears to be in an okay place at the end of the episode, uh, despite being fired. I think moral of his story here is he's justified. He went too far, but he finally stood up for himself. And, and that's what we needed from him. There was one little Aaron thing I wanted to mention before we moved on to, uh, to the rest of the episode. It's small, but it was an extended bit, I, I, I believe. Aaron, at the beginning of the episode, has a little talking head. She says, a month ago, I walked out of this office sure that I'd never come back. I probably shouldn't have emailed everyone telling them exactly what I thought of them. But it turns out that that wasn't a problem at all. In fact, it was very, very nice because it's Aaron. She's she wouldn't hurt a fly. She's very, very sweet. And Oscar and Daryl are the two that we see being very appreciative vocally of her very nice emails. Daryl said that he doesn't get emotional often, but this was special. So yeah, he she absolutely yeah, it's really she absolutely sweet. should have emailed everyone telling them exactly what she thought of them because it it made some people's day. So I thought that was really sweet. The way she said it, it almost made you think. Did she say like negative things to right. people? And then yeah. it's like, no, it's Aaron. Like, what, what's she going to say to people? Um, I don't know. I, I think we see a little bit of a dark side to Aaron, Aaron every once in a while, but here's not one of those times. Right. Um, now, just a couple of things about Nellie and Robert. Nellie, to her credit, does feel bad when she learns that Andy is having a struggle, is struggling with impotence. Um, first off, it's weird that Dwight reports that to her. Apparently, Dwight is her information monkey. And uh, it was just like passing on the goings on of the office, no matter how trivial. And that's one of the things, because Aaron had gone to Dwight about, you know, when you lost the manager job, did you have this struggle? Um, and Dwight says, no, I've never experienced anything in my life like that ever. 
And so Dwight passes that on to Nellie and she feels bad. She says, you know, I wanted to take his job, but I didn't want to take away his manhood, his his sense of sense of himself. I didn't want to take that from him. And that does lead to the ill-informed conference room meeting. So that kind of sucks. But at least in the moment, it, it does lead to her feeling badly for Andy. So I appreciate that about her. And as far as Robert goes, when the, the, the quote I mentioned earlier, when Nellie said, you know, it, it, it get accustomed to people telling, you no because it, then it will feel so good when they finally say yes. He has a talking head that is not in the normal episode. I don't think. I don't think so. He says, I never allow sexual desire to influence a business decision. So I find it best to excuse myself temporarily. I think he says recuse. This is quoted. It doesn't matter. Recuse myself temporarily until I've had a chance to make love and then go back and analyze the situation rationally. Buffett operates the same way. (laughs) Talking about Warren Buffett, the famous businessman. So I don't want to give Robert credit for anything here, but that's the moment when he says, you two are adults. I'm sure you can come to an agreement or an understanding here. And he steps out. Um, I'm glad that he's not trying to like make a decision when he feels like he's compromised, (laughs) but I mean, he's he's the one who let it get this far in the first place. So I just wanted to to give him that that one iota of recognition. I just realized that this is the second time that the CEO has allowed two people sparring for manager to decide who will be manager. The last time we saw this was Joe telling Dwight mm-hmm. and Jim, not Dwight, sorry, uh, Michael and 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 Jim, you guys figure it out. Decide who will be manager and. Andy and, and, and Robert is kind of saying the same thing here to Nellie and Andy. You're adults. Figure it out. Let me know what you decide. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, a little bit different situation since this one was kind of caused by Robert not forcing <laughs> Nellie out of the office yeah. in the first place. Because, I mean, think about this. This has been three episodes, two, three episodes that Nellie has been in this position. But in real time, it's only been like three or four days. Yeah. So it's not like this has been something that's de- that's happened over a long period of time, but it's like you couldn't let Andy's office sit empty for two days, three days. Yeah. So anyways, that's beside the point. Okay. Oh, uh, I had one more thing to say about Nellie before we talk about the, the other yeah. big chunk of this episode. Uh, about uh, Aaron, before we talk about the other big chunk of this episode. Uh, I like that Aaron went to Dwight for advice. Because it's evidence of the sort of bond that they formed back in pool party when they were trying to uh, flirt it up to make Andy jealous. And then uh, maybe a little bit of a bond that they might have shared in Florida just because she was part of Dwight's crew and he was in charge. So I, I just thought it was kind of nice that she, she went to Dwight and said, you, you've gone through something similar. What would you do in this situation? Or did you experience this in this situation? It's a very, very personal thing, and I don't think that Aaron is ignorant of that. And so she wouldn't have gone to Dwight if she didn't have some sort of connection to him. Yeah, it's a weird, nice little mini friendship that they have going on, and I like it. Mm-hmm. So moving on to the other bulk of this episode, Kelly. So Ryan and Kelly are apparently now broken up, and Jim and Pam have set up their pediatrician, Ravi, with Kelly. And Pam swears it has nothing to do with race, but they both happen to be Indian. And uh, Robbie is, by all appearances, great. I mean, he seems polite. He's well-educated. He's good-looking. And Ryan is not happy. He overhears the four of them talking about the babies. And Ryan chimes in completely sincerely. 
Oh, another tip. Never shake the baby. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> he's just trying to get in the conversation because there's this guy talking to Kelly and that's not him. So he's just trying to insert mm-hmm. himself. And Ryan thinks he made a mistake letting Kelly go. Uh, he says Kelly's the best thing that ever happened to him. Really? Because all you do is complain about her. <laughs> and that he misses her and he tells Jim and Pam, I'd rather she be alone than with somebody. Is that love? <laughs> no, I don't think you know what happiness, like what, you, no, you don't love the other person. You were just jealous. Like, that's all that is. Yeah. And later after he's shown her pictures of himself <laughs> that were taken during a trip of, uh, with them together. So like it, all these pictures were taken by Kelly, but they're exclusively of Ryan. Oh, remember the time? Like, that's so romantic, isn't it? And after that, he he has a talking head. He says, I'm in love with Kelly Kapoor, and I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. But I do know that right here, right now, all I can think about is spending the rest of my life with her. Again, that could change. (laughs) Like, how flaky do you want to be? That is so noncommittal. It's not even funny. And Kelly has a talking head where she says, I am seeing a side of Ryan that I have never seen. Since the last time we broke up. <laughs> right. That, that one was added for the producer's yeah. cut, I'm pretty sure. Like, That's yeah, so <laughs> this is a trend. He's only sweet to you and he's not even good at being sweet when mm-hmm. he wants you back, when he feels like he's lost you. So this whole episode, he is getting more and more and more desperate. Pam, however, takes a vested interest in this. She is vehemently against Ryan, as, as we've seen more and more recently, she's just not a fan. And Pam asks Kelly if, instead of lunch, she wants to shop. Kelly freaks out. She's so excited. So they're online shopping at Kelly's desk. This is extended, I believe. And Pam brings up Ryan. And Kelly says that she started to have feelings for him again. And Pam asks, well, remember how it felt when he cheated on you, though? And Kelly had to ask which time. If you have to ask which time... <laughs> I mean, if you have it's to ask at all, <laughs> like it's not, you know, but then Ryan confronts Pam in the break room. He says, I heard you were bad mouthing me to Kelly. Pam tells him that uh, all she did was remind Kelly that Ryan used to treat her poorly and that they're not that good together. And all he did was complain about her. And Ryan says, that's your opinion and her opinion, but not my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, if it's her opinion, maybe it's valid. And he tells her to tell him directly if she has something to say to him. So Pam is so honest with Ryan here. She says, you know what? I don't like you. I, I, don't, I don't like you much at all. And, and Ryan argues that he's a much better match for Kelly than Ravi is. And everyone in the break room disagrees with him. Oscar, Kevin, and Nate, who, by the way, has never met Ryan personally, but he's going to go ahead and just say that having known Brian a short while, he prefers Ravi. And again, I've never met him. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone is like dude Robbie's clearly the whole package and you are not so Ryan is just getting more and more egged on to make a big grand gesture which he he will by the end of the episode yeah and there's another scene that was added for the producer's cut uh, Jim and Pam are talking to Kelly once again in the break room and they say you know what do you even like about Ryan and she says Ryan keeps up with all the latest technology trends like oh good that's that's something to look for in a romantic partner and he's very honest with me about when i put on weight good yeah yeah (laughs) and uh the and he has the soul and the body of a poet and i don't know what either of those really means (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and then she has a talking head. She says, Ravi makes me incredibly happy. And Ryan puts me through so much drama. So I guess I just have to decide which of those is more important to me. <laughs> so, I mean, we know that Kelly loves drama. It really shouldn't be that surprising that she's having such a hard time with this decision, especially considering the history that the two of them have together. But, I mean, come on. There really is an obvious choice here, and Kelly just can't see it. Meredith chimes in as well and says that when she was younger, she had to choose between a Ryan and a Ravi, and she chose the Ryan. She says, well, if I didn't, I wouldn't have my kids. Jim reminds her, well, you'd probably still have kids. And Meredith agrees. She says, yeah, I'd probably have better kids. You gotta go with Ravi. <laughs> <laughs> and Daryl speaks up and says, you just gotta look into your heart and see what it wants. And if it's not Ravi, then you need to change it to Ravi. <laughs> <laughs> He's the right choice. And so at the end of the day, when everyone's leaving the office, Ryan is waiting outside on a white horse for Kelly outside the office. And he has an awful speech prepared. He says, Kelly, I have a few things I want to say to you, so please don't interrupt. Kelly says, I wasn't going to interrupt. He says, well, you do a lot, so just don't. Thank you. <laughs> I know that I haven't always treated you the way that you, for whatever reason, feel that you deserve to be treated. But mm -hmm. I want to marry you, Kelly Kapoor. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday. And probably. Mm. <laughs> Kelly, I can't promise you that we will always stay together. I can't promise you that I'll never cheat on you. Nor should I. Modern marriages aren't built that way. Men aren't built that way. There's a very interesting article I can email to you, but I can tell you this. Even if the odds are 50-50 that will break up within the week, I want to roll those dice. And he tells her that he loves her. And Kelly finally, maturely, says no and chooses Ravi and uh, makes him hug and do the whole we'll still be friends thing. And yeah, it's, mm, it's bold. So he, did he propose? Not really. No. It's... He, he, he did say, I would like to be married, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday probably. Yeah, it's, it's the most noncommittal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's worth pointing out, too, that when they first walk outside and they see Ryan waiting on the horse, Pam starts booing. Uh, <laughs> Pam is very against the possibility of Ryan. And it is hinted at one point in the episode that... Uh, She's not doing this because of access to her pediatrician. Like she's almost trapped herself in the scenario where she has set her pediatrician up with a coworker. And if it doesn't work out, it's going to affect negatively on the relationship with the pediatrician. Um, I don't think I would have suspected that if she hadn't said it, but right. whatever. I, I do think she has a vested interest, at least a vested interest against Ryan. And also worth pointing out that part of Kelly and Ryan calling it quits on each other is making out one last time. They start making out, so. Yeah. That's one way to do it. So funny moments for this episode. Uh, let's start with the cold open. Phyllis is, I love this cold open. Phyllis is known to use cliches when it rains, specifically the same 12 cliches. So Jim promised everyone that if she said all 12 before noon, he would send out for hot chocolates. Some Phyllis volunteered on her own and some the office kind of had to pry out of her. The one that she didn't say was that this weather makes her want to stay at home and curl up with a good book. And they were trying to draw that out of her and noon hits and she hasn't said it. And then there's a the Phyllis talking head where she says, I mean, normally the rain would make me want to stay at home, curled up with a good book. But everyone's been so nice to me today. I'm really happy being here. <laughs> right. They've created this situation for themselves. I, I, it's so funny that they have this list on hand and that it's just like common knowledge that, oh, there's 12 of them. And Phyllis says them every time it rains. Check them off. And so like they had this prepared for the start of the day. And I, I love when Pam starts, like, trying to bait out 
the the final one from Phyllis. Like, isn't there something really cozy you'd like to be doing? And Jim just says, "Hey, come on, <laughs> like, that's cheating. You you don't need to make us spend more money right now." <laughs> Andy, uh, as you alluded to earlier, he makes Dunder Mifflin jerseys for everybody. They're they're going to recreate the the movie Rudy. As he's explaining this, it's to Dwight and Oscar and Kevin are there when he first pitches this idea. And Kevin very tearfully, fondly remembers the scene that he's referring to in the movie Rudy. And I, I just wanted to, I, I need to go back and watch the non-producers cut episode because there's a couple of shots that would definitely still have those jerseys still in them. So I wonder like if they deal with that somehow in the producers cut or in the non-producers cut or whatever, like it, it, uh, I'm thinking specifically of the scene right before the con- conference room meeting. Yeah. They're where, like on desks and stuff. Yeah. They're on their desk and Jim is like holding one and he places it down on his desk as he stands up to go into the conference room. So I need to watch that again to see if there's just like random jerseys that people have for no reason. You mentioned earlier old salty, the wooden figurine that Dwight made into a bobblehead and he named or he renamed old salty Captain Mutato based on Dwight's X-Men fan fiction character, which he says is a half-man, half-mermaid. So a three-quarters man, one-quarter fish? Like, is that what's going on here? Uh, who fights like a man and makes love like a mermaid. So He mostly writes about the latter, yeah. apparently. Yes. <laughs> Another producer's cut scene, uh, or it's an extended version of a scene that's in the original episode. It's the scene where Aaron goes up to Andy and says, hey, about last night, it was okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. And he says uh, in this extended version, oh, don't worry. We are sexing it up tonight. I don't care what you say. No, it will be consensual, whether you like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) And Aaron responds, sounds good. I'm going to do you. And Andy says, not if I do you first. (laughs) I'm pretty sure any doing will be happening at the same time. (laughs) That's the hope. (laughs) There's a funny moment that made me laugh pretty hard and that also teaches us something about Dwight. When Andy asks Dwight and others if they want to be a part of something huge, of course, meaning the the Rudy thing, Dwight says, I'm already a part of the largest club there is, non-church-going Christians. Okay. Which I, I never would have pegged Dwight as a Christian, but that's great. Uh, didn't yeah, didn't expect cool. to hear that from him. Another producer's cut scene. Like I said, I'm trying to touch on all these as much as I can. Uh, Nellie has a talking head after Andy has first confronted her uh, about getting his office back. She says, when I showed up here, there was no manager. It's like when the Americans showed up at the moon. Nobody was there. So they planted their flag and it's their moon now, isn't it? Nobody likes it, but it's America's bloody moon. (laughs) (laughs) I was not aware as an American that the moon belonged to us, but uh, sure. The 51st state. (laughs) (laughs) The conversation between Aaron and Dwight where she asks for help with Andy's problem. You mentioned the basis of it, but I really just like how it goes down with Dwight hugely denying that he's had any sort of this problem. Aaron asks, but she doesn't really know what the technical term is. She calls it pineal softiosis. (laughs) Dwight says, Aaron, I am so glad that you trusted me. You came to the exact right person for this. No. I have never once experienced anything like that. Ever. Never. And Aaron's like, oh, okay. And Dwight says, okay. Okay. Washington Monument. Eiffel Tower. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fine. Stop talking. <laughs> Colossus at Rhodes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Stop. Thank you. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Nellie, producer Scott, 
is trying to order a zebra rug over the phone, but she wants them to dye it all black. Now, for those of you who don't know, zebras have white and black stripes. And so if you dye it all black, it is no longer recognizable as a zebra, right? And the person on the phone points this out, apparently, and Nelly says, well, well, I'll know. And then she says, because they're ridiculous creatures, they don't know what they are. And then a few minutes later, a couple of scenes have gone by and Andy has called up Hank at this point to assist with de-officing Nelly. And she's still on the phone talking about zebras. She actually pronounces them zebras. I thought that's pretty funny. Uh, she says, because they're idiots, big stripy horsey idiots. <laughs> oh, I loved this one. I, I believe this is extended as well. When Andy is struggling with his anger, Aaron sings him a lullaby that she had sung to her growing up. The state of Pennsylvania is watching over you. No need for parents, the governor will do. The general <laughs> assembly's like a mom and a dad. <laughs> and then we don't hear the rest, but it's pretty sad and great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when Robert and Andy are first talking, before they try and confront Nellie together about giving Andy the office back, Robert posits a couple of scenarios to Andy. He says, what if Aaron realized that she made a mistake and she went back to Florida? And he says, she would know how I feel and I wouldn't follow her. Robert says, okay, what if she's kidnapped by Albanian human traffickers? Andy asks, like, in Taken? You mentioned this earlier. But Robert says, what? Y- yes, of course. If she's taken, that's what I'm talking about. So he clearly doesn't get that he's like referencing the direct plot of a movie. And Andy says, okay, well, I-, I would stay in this office. Robert says, oh, I remember you said that. And he just immediately <laughs> leaves to go confront Nelly. And Andy's like looking panicked at the camera. Like, oh, are-, are you going to hire Albanian human traffickers to kidnap my girlfriend? Is this something I actually have to worry about? Uh, I believe it's in the conference room meeting. Yes, it is. Um, the very inappropriate conference room meeting where they're talking about Andy's issue. And Gabe chimes in. He says, I don't see what the problem is with Aaron and Andy not having sex because Aaron doesn't even like sex. She said it was like being tackled by a giant skeleton. Uh, probably in just you, friends. <laughs> <laughs> in that conference room meeting, Pam tries to make Andy feel better by having Jim, quote, confess a time when he had issues with impotence. And so Jim struggles and he makes up, um, I don't, uh, yes, that, that time it was, it was very late. Uh, we'd had sex so many times already. I was exhausted. I, I was very drunk. And Pam's just like, okay, stop it. <laughs> like, this is not going to help Andy whatsoever. Qualifying everything. <laughs> There's one that's a little bit PG-13. Phyllis is, uh, trying to make Andy feel better. She says, if it makes you feel better, I never had an orgasm until I was 42. And when I did, it lasted till I was 44. And there's a Phyllis talking head. She says, 43 was, I got nothing done. (laughs) (laughs) Would would that have been during the course of the show? Like, uh, so she and Michael are the same age. We, I'm sure we learned how old Michael was at some point. Um, yeah, I probably would have been. I'm pretty sure it would have been at least like season one or two. Yeah. But I, I haven't done the, the calendar. The homework. Math, yeah. If anybody wants like, to uh, find what out. Season? Hmm. <laughs> Ryan at one yes. point talks about writing a poem for Kelly. He can't read it for her because it would be too painful. My heart couldn't even handle it. 
He says, this poem would crush you. And at the end of the episode, Jim and Pam dig it out of the trash to read it. So they find it, and Pam reads the first line. Kapoor and desperate, he watches. And Jim, even though he was sort of exasperated at the thought of digging this out of the trash in the first place, says, second line, okay, like, keep going. If you started this, keep going. Pam says, he is a drifter out to sea. And then we skip forward. They finished, or gotten to the end of the poem. Jim is reading. And when the Indian Ocean calms, one speck of white remains in waters cold and Kelly green. And Pam says, it's just so dumb. And then she starts, like, choking up, about to cry. But, but when he describes himself as a child lost on the life raft. And then we cut to a, a brief talking head where Jim is emotional as well. Looks like he's been crying a little bit. He says, uh, Ryan can never know. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like how it is very dumb. The Indian Ocean, that's Kelly. Mm-hmm. One speck of white, that's Ryan. Like... <laughs> Kelly right. Green, that's <laughs> Kelly. It's just very on the nose, but apparently, as a whole, very moving. So. <laughs> Ryan, uh, during a talking head, says, Kelly and I broke up and she can do whatever she wants. And her new boyfriend seems awesome if you're into Indian people. I'm not. Um, I think he... About are. that, Ryan. I hate to break it to you, but Kelly's Indian. <laughs> <laughs> during the conference room meeting... Aaron is trying to put a stop to this. She says, Toby, doesn't HR have rules against talking about this kind of stuff? And Toby just says, Aaron, HR is a joke. I can't do anything about anything. <laughs> so he finally admits it. He's just like, maybe like to Michael, he could sometimes put up a fight, even though he knew he wasn't going to win. But with Robert, it's just like, I'm not even going to try. We haven't had much Toby recently. It was nice to hear a line from mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Uh, Creed also at the meeting uh, Nellie says that I that she's been with several older men both Robert and Creed say how old gross at the same time and Creed says jinx buy me some coke <laughs> not he a coke up to, yeah not a <laughs> coke uh, you, we made the same same connection there he didn't say specifically what kind of coke he is wanting so just gotta be careful with that purchase there is some coke and there is a coke and those are very different <laughs> Nate in the scene where Andy proposes the Rudy idea, uh, they are outside the office to the side, uh, sort of halfway between the front door and the entrance to the warehouse door. Uh, and there's a little curb there. And Andy is at first star- standing in like this dirt patch off the curb. And Kevin walks up and says, you shouldn't be standing there because the warehouse guys pee there all the time. And Andy like scoots to the side. Okay, I won't do that. I won't stand there. And as he's explaining this idea he has to everybody, Nate just casually walks up and leans up against the building and starts peeing. And Andy's like, ew, gross. And so he, he leaves and Nate's like, well, you don't have to go. You don't have to leave. Uh, I'd rather not be there in that situation either. And Nate is also unfortunately left to clean up the broken picture frame that Andy smashed and to clean up the horse poop in the parking lot with a large dustpan. He picks up some of it with his gloved hand as well, just like. It doesn't all fit, so I gotta gotta take care of this however I can. Okay, let's go ahead and get into our discussion topic. Do we think Andy would have been able to convince Aaron to come back to Scranton if he hadn't made the journey down there? Honestly, no, because Irene was really the one that convinced Aaron to give him a real shot. Mm-hmm. She said, look, I think you guys are good together. You like him. He likes you. Go tell him how you feel. She didn't want to get back together with him until Irene told her that it was probably a good idea. Yeah, and 
part of what convinced Irene that Andy would be good for her was that he was putting his job on the line to get with her. Yeah. So I I, I understand Robert's point. Andy has responsibilities uh, as the manager of a branch up here. Um, And he did leave his responsibilities behind for a few days. Yes, it was for something... Uh, I guess you could call noble or something grand, a big romantic gesture. But unfortunately for Andy, if he had stayed and stuck with his responsibilities, he would not have gotten Aaron back. So uh, anyways, that was a quick discussion. But yeah. There are other I, ways I to it do it, question too. Worth like, asking. use your PTO. <laughs> mm-hmm. Go. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, you can do it and not risk your job, you know? Yeah. So moving on to our next episode, also a producer's cut, was Fundraiser. It aired April 26th, 2012, directed by David Rogers and written by Owen Ellickson. Dunder Mifflin Scranton is attending a fundraiser being sponsored by Angela's husband, Robert Lipton, the uh, state senator. And the recently fired Andy will be attending as well as Aaron's date. Andy struggles to hide his jobless struggles from his former co-workers while Nellie tries to befriend Daryl and Dwight participates in a silent auction. So Andy has shown up to the office and is hanging out in his car, hopefully waiting for Aaron, but it's weird to everyone that he's there. It's weird to everyone except Aaron and Andy. Dwight takes it to mean that, of course, there's going to be an office emergency. Andy's back to attack people because he does have an anger issue, but I don't think he's that kind of guy to, you know, do anything to the office. But a few people went down to ask Andy if he's okay. Aaron puts it on videotape, just just in case. And uh, Angela even admits that they think that he might kill Robert. So everyone's a little bit concerned about Andy. Uh, what's he going to do? Why is he here? It's a little bit weird that he's in the parking lot. But when they find out that he's going to be at the fundraiser, which is a Dunder Mifflin thing, with the exception of Robert Lipton, Angela's husband, everyone else is Dunder Mifflin. And now there's also Andy, who is no longer Dunder Mifflin, and everyone is weirded out by the fact that he'll be there. Yeah, especially Kevin. Kevin is sort of the voice of reason for a lot of this episode, which is funny. Andy doesn't appear to be overly angry. He's not nothing like that. He seems to be handling things pretty well. Uh, he starts talking about sharing his life. Um, he says, I'm writing a rock opera. It's not like I'm even writing it. It's like I'm receiving it. Okay. Um, it's about a hero in a dystopian future who rides in a spaceship shaped like a treble clef and has to sing his heart out to destroy all evil. It's like, okay, I mean, passion projects, sure, why not? But then he keeps sharing, and he shares with Robert specifically, and he reveals that there's an evil character, the villain. His name is Thomas Oregon. Hmm. Common first name, state last name. Who does that sound Mm. like? Uh, and this guy wants to destroy all the guitars in the world because he realizes that music is the one thing he can't control. And it's clear that Andy is directing this at Robert and he's sharing this specifically with Robert to like make it, make it vindictive. Like this, this is going to be really popular and everybody's going to be, you're, you're going to be exposed like for what you really are. And Robert suggests to him, maybe you and Aaron should leave. You should enjoy a romantic evening together. I will even pay for it leave get out of here stop making this situation what it is and andy refuses and he says you know let's let's move tables i'd like to buy two seats at another table well at these fundraiser events you can't just buy two seats you have to reserve an entire table and they are not cheap they never are for these kind of events but he does it anyways so he flippantly buys this table spends a whole lot of money that he didn't need to spend later 
Robert is giving a speech about these older dogs that were in service. They were like service dogs. They were in service of elder people who died and they were left at the shelter, uh, not likely to be adopted because older dogs never are. And Andy steps up and he says, you know what? I will adopt them. Aaron is horrified because her boyfriend just offered to adopt 12 elderly dogs. And it turns out these dogs are going to need a lot of additional care. There's one dog, one dog of the 12 that requires medication every 90 minutes. 90 minutes. That's several times a day. And that's just one of them. And he, he, he's trying to make this heroic gesture like my life is obviously okay look at what i'm doing for these dogs look at this opera that i'm writing my life is great but we know or at least we figure out that it is just all a facade to try and make people think that he's okay when really he's not he also runs into our old friend david wallace who's at the fundraiser which was fun david who we last saw i think at his home with michael Mm -hmm. and he was working on something called Suck It with his son. It's a toy vacuum. Yes. Suck it. Uh, And he was in a (laughs) deep depression. And he is now great. Like, really great. Because the U.S. military bought the patent for Suck It for $20 million. So he's (laughs) fine. And he's happy. And he never has to work again a day in his life if if he doesn't want to. And uh, he's great. So Andy feels, I don't know good and bad about that because well david's fine he was fired and he's he's okay you know it, it, it might suck for a while it might suck it for a while uh but <laughs> uh but it's gonna get better i mean maybe he'll make 20 million dollars on a patent but it's also it's david wallace who kind of lives this charmed life that andy sort of wants to have but doesn't so he, i feel like he's just that just throws a a, a kink in the in the whole day that was already pretty pretty weird so andy's just on edge when he <laughs> adopts these 12 special needs dogs um and as you said kevin has been the voice of reason today so andy is kind of cuddling up with all of his new dogs and he says i'm fine this is the best i've ever been i'm great and kevin says you're not okay you're a mess this is the worst thing to ever happen to you and <laughs> He's, I like that as harsh as he's being, because it's okay that you're a mess. Something bad happened mm-hmm. to you. Something unfair happened to you. And you're allowed to be a mess. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that Kevin told him that because Andy admits, you know what? You're right. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Uh, I'm having a, a little mental breakdown and that's, that's okay sometimes. <laughs> Right. I mean, Kevin, this is a, a great time for him to not have a filter. Yeah. Uh, because he does speak a truth that Andy needs to hear, that you, you are not okay right now, and that's okay. Uh, Jim and Pam are there, too. And Jim says, you know, this is still fresh. Pam says, admitting that you need help is the first step. That's fine. Aaron says, we will be all right. Uh, Kevin then says, no, he won't. <laughs> but that, that, that's when Kevin, I think, maybe goes a little too far. I think yeah. he, he was definitely right about Andy not being okay. But... Uh, it, things will get better, whether Kevin says they will or not. The happy ending of all this, obviously, Andy wasn't going to adopt all of these dogs after finally admitting to himself that he has a problem. Uh, but several of the office members do adopt the elderly dogs. And so they are not left at the shelter, which is good. A fun side story here. Oscar, 
uh, is, is of course, at the fundraiser. And the senator, upon learning that Oscar is a dog person, gives him his, his card in case Oscar wants to get more involved with the animal shelter. And the card has a cell phone number on it, which the, the, the senator points out and tells Oscar that he'll be more likely to pick up late, like after nine, and kind of gives him this look. And Oscar, of course, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This confirms three things. I'm right about the senator. I still got it. And poor Angela. <laughs> so when Oscar tells Jim and Pam this, Pam is floored and just, you know, oh my gosh, you were right. And he convinced that Robert is hitting on Oscar, but Jim's not convinced. So he tries to go get the senator's cell phone number, trying to prove that he gives it out to everyone. And he succeeds. So this tells Oscar and Pam one of two things. Either Jim was right, or the senator thinks that Jim is gay. <laughs> Um, so they kind of joke about that for a bit uh but then when they see the senator give his cell phone number to meredith they know that no he really does give it out to everyone on his way out though the senator says goodbye to oscar and takes some time and 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 lingers for a little bit on his goodbye and reminds him to use the cell phone number and touches his arm and it really looks like he's sitting on oscar it does look like it and so even though Oscar was at first bummed when Meredith got the cell phone number too, he says, um, you know, obviously I, I'm not rooting for Angela's husband to be gay, but I am lonely. I am aging. And so there at the end, when it appears again that Robert is flirting with him a little bit, uh, he, he's excited again that he maybe was right after all. And I mean, we still don't have 100% confirmation. We'll see. By the way, how non-efficient it is to write your cell phone number on every business card as you hand it out rather than just include the cell phone number on the business card in the first place. Yep. But whatever. Yep. <laughs> or if it's not printed, if you know you're going to be doing that, write a few ahead of time. Like. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm glad you took that story because I, I'm glad to take the Nelly yeah. part of the story. <laughs> because as I said in the summary, her goal this episode is to befriend Daryl. She says in a talking head, tonight could be the night that Daryl and I go from casual work friends to actual good friends. The only thing standing in our way is the contempt he seems to feel for me. (laughs) It makes sense that he would feel contempt for her. He and Andy were good friends. And not only did she take his job, she directly led to him getting fired. And she doesn't even know about Dunder Mifflin. She she jokes with him uh, about the warehouse. Oh, yeah, sure. It's downstairs. And he's like, it it is. You You can go downstairs to the warehouse. She didn't even, she had no clue. And she's been doing this for a week, two weeks at this point. So they are sitting next to each other at the fundraiser and she tries to buddy up with him. She laments that there's not real food here, like hamburgers or Oreos or pizza pie or what's another food that we both like? Daryl says tacos. And she says, oh, what I wouldn't give for a big mess of tacos (laughs) right now. I quote that all the time, a whole mess of tacos. Um, And so, well, I'll go get some if you give me the money. She says, okay, so for two tacos, that means we're going to need a, what, 20? And he says, $30. $30. That's how much we need for tacos. And so she gives him the money and he leaves. He comes back and he says, oh, the tacos were on sale. Eight for $3. (laughs) And he watches just astounded. As she attempts to eat a taco, she holds it up to her face and she scoops the <laughs> inside of the taco into her mouth rather than like 
actually eating the taco. She's scooping it into her face. And there's one thing that's added in the producer's cut in this scene. And I like it because Daryl sort of seeds a little bit and he's like, okay, let me show you how to eat a taco. You need to do this and you do this. So we get that in the producer's cut. And then he has the talking head that is in the the original episode where he just says, she's trying. So I'm glad that uh, we we had that little bit of extra where we see Daryl is not just laughing at her expense. He is helping her to Americanize a little bit. That bit, uh, that bit is also really funny because not only does Nellie not know how to eat a taco, she doesn't know what tacos are. She says, right. <laughs> I've never eaten a taco. I'm not entirely sure what they are, as long as they're not slimy. And please, God, don't let them have eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and she, when this is probably all funny moment stuff, but whatever. She's um, unwrapping them and just the way that she discovers what they are. Oh, 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 oh okay. <laughs> she, how do I... Hmm. And she's, it's a hard shell taco. She doesn't know how to, she's trying to like fit the thing long ways in her mouth and it won't fit. It's just, it's great. She's so funny. I, this might've been in the producer's cut as well, where she's like, and what do I do with the, the crispy holder after I finish? <laughs> <laughs> Which, how have we, have we not mentioned if no one is watching the show with us right now, which of course people are, but this is Catherine Tate who... If you're at all a nerd and have watched Doctor Who, like she's just, yeah. we love her and I'm glad she's on yeah. the show. <laughs> I still type Donna like three out of five <laughs> times every time in my notes. Oh, which is so funny because in both shows, she played a character that I didn't love to start, but grew to like mm-hmm. quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one more thing um, to talk about in the character moment section, and it is entirely in the producer's cut. This isn't something that was. Uh, shortened a little bit in the normal episode. It just does not exist. Um, So Pam is sitting at a table with Jim, obviously, and also Phyllis and Stanley. And Pam comments on the flowers on the the centerpiece. And she says, oh, I wonder where they got them. And Phyllis says, oh, they're so predictable. Daffodils in spring. What's next? Mistletoe at Christmas. And so Pam is inspecting them a little bit closer. And she finds a tag that says, please take this home with you. Like this is yours at the end of the night. And Phyllis changes her tune. And she tries to make Pam less interested in the flowers because clearly she wants them for herself. She says, even in your house, it's a little much. Pam's like, offended, obviously. She says, have, have you ever been to our house? Phyllis says, not exactly, but I know the flats, like an area of town, the flats. So Pam has a talking head and she says, I'm going to say what everyone else is afraid to say. Phyllis is a bully, a big, beautiful bully. And she is not getting that centerpiece. And I mean, it's true. We've seen other instances like this, especially Phyllis towards Pam. I don't know what the animosity between those two is, but and it's only like one way. Yeah. We've seen them in the past with the purple long time ago with the purple outfits and, you know, Pam kind of joking about it and Phyllis saying it looks better on her. And just, yeah, she's she's pretty sassy towards Pam. Mm hmm. So later on, Phyllis starts talking about how she gives $1 to every charity, you know, for the free stuff. It's amazing what, the, what you can get for a dollar. And, oh, plus it's nice to know that you're making a difference, which you're not for $1. Pam chimes in that she and Jim donate to the Red Cross. Phyllis asks if they're sure that they should be donating, what with their financial situation. Uh, okay, rude. And then while Pam was away, Phyllis took the centerpiece from the table, put it in her car, but swears that she threw it in the garbage because she knew it was bothering Pam. Uh, no, pretty sure you just threw it in your car, and, and Pam calls her out on that, and she's just in a mood this episode. 
Yeah, Pam directly says to her, you are out of control. Yeah. And Phyllis just says, you knew how this was going to end. <laughs> ah, whoa. Goodness gracious, Phyllis. It's, Calm down. If this was a fun rivalry over, you know, fighting for the centerpiece, great. Let it be a fun game. But this was not that. No, this was Phyllis, like, directly changing her mind about something just because she knew Pam wanted yeah. it. Okay, let's get to the funny stuff. Yeah. Uh, this, this cold open <laughs> is really great. And I kind of want to just read the whole thing <laughs> because it, it, it's better. Uh, but I won't. Um, <laughs> so Ryan, at the start is like pacing back and forth. He's got his hands up behind his head. He's real stressed. No, 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 no. And Jim gestures towards Pam like, okay, somebody needs to bite or he's just going to bother us like this all day. And so Pam says, okay, well, fine, Ryan, something the matter. And Ryan just says, Smokey's dead. Pam's like, Smokey the bear? (laughs) And Ryan says, Smokey Robinson. He died like an hour ago. I guess I'm the first to know. No. Sure, you're the first to know. Yeah, you found him, Ryan. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And Jim says, wow, that's terrible. I really liked him. This is turning into me reading the whole thing anyways. I'll try not to. <laughs> <laughs> and so Ryan then blows up in Jim's face. And he says, oh, you liked him? That's nice. Did you like when he changed the course of American music like two or three times? Did you like that Tracks of My Tears is maybe the last true love song ever written? I'm glad you liked him, Jim. I am completely devastated right now. <laughs> Jim says, well, I second that emotion which is the name of a Smokey Robinson song. <laughs> Ryan doesn't pick up on it. And so Pam then challenges him to name any more Smokey Robinson songs, any of them at all, Smokey Robinson or the Miracles. It doesn't matter. And he can't name any. He says, so, so many. He says, I'm not playing this game, Pam, not today. <laughs> and it, it, it goes on from there. It, it's just ridiculous that Ro- Ryan is like trying to prove how deep he is about music according to pam and he can't name a single other Smokey robinson song despite claiming to be such a big fan and they they even go so far as to say oscar debunks this he he finds on cnn that this was a false rumor to begin with uh so oh thank goodness then jim looks up oh he's performing just three hours away from here you can do that ryan and pam's like well you have to go you're the biggest Smokey robinson fan in the world jim says well tickets are 250 dollars." pam says you think that matters to the biggest Smokey robinson fan <laughs> and so they're, they're just giving him a hard time about this and it it's ridiculous Smokey robinson's good by the way the miracles i like the very ending of this uh he's he's angry and he starts storming out and on his way out pam shouts out oh and Tears of a Clown. She was remembering another Smokey Robinson song. And mm-hmm. Ryan, again, not knowing but the one Smokey Robinson song, <laughs> says, don't call me a clown, Pam. You're better than that. I would even say, like, Tears of a Clown is bigger than Tracks of My Tears or uh, I Second yeah. That Emotion. Like, I know tra- uh, Tears of a Clown more than any other Smokey Robinson song. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, I think I would know Second That Emotion most, but... like, I think Love Machine is the Miracles. That sounds right. Mm. Anyways, that's about all I might ever know of him, though. Yeah. So, but Ryan knows. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I'm not like the hugest Smokey Robinson aficionado. I just know a few of his songs. Yeah, right. But I appear to know more than Ryan does. <laughs> Smokey Robinson still not dead, by the way. I don't think. An extended bit at the fundraiser. Meredith spots a guy from behind who she immediately becomes very interested in. He's good looking, and when he turns around, oh my gosh, it's Gabe. <laughs> And she's a little bit mortified, but he's looking better, apparently. 
He has recently given up his hair gel because it was giving him a rash on his head. And he stopped his low-protein diet that he had been on for eight years, so he bulked up a little bit. Uh, no wonder he was so thin, not eating protein. <laughs> and he says the ladies seem to like it. And he's getting half as many bladder infections. Uh, Good. So that's a plus. And um, <laughs> he also manages to insult Phyllis and Meredith, who are standing there. Uh, he says, why is it that, that so many things are more beautiful in the autumn of their lives? <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> and Phyllis calls him, you had to say that. Had to say like, that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and any attraction that was there is now gone. <laughs> At the very start of the episode, Robert walks in and he, he's wearing his sort of normal getup, except he's got a tie on as well. And he says, oh, I hate ties. I feel like I'm being strangled, like I'm at some erotic, asphyxi- some erotic asphyxiation sex club over on I-84. <laughs> The Red Room, say, or Dominic. So he he tries to be general about it first, like at some erotic asphyxiation. That's a hard word to say. Some erotic asphyxiation sex club. But then he like names a couple of them specifically. So maybe he's like a a regular tenant. Dwight, this is this could have gone under character moments, but the whole thing was really funny. Dwight grossly misunderstands the idea behind silent auctions. So there's a silent auction at this uh, fundraiser. And he thinks it is kind of like on Price is Right, where you guess the price of something, and then if you do, you win. But it is a silent auction. So he does some research. Oh, you know, a weekend stay at this hotel or whatever. And he finds out how much that would be. Oh, a year-long membership to the gym. He calls the gym. How much is a year-long membership? And he writes down the answer. But that's not what it is. It's a silent auction where you bid silently. And so, surprise, surprise, he wins every single item. And he doesn't realize what he's done. He's cocky. He's so excited. I want everything. It's until the person announcing his winning says, your donation is the largest we've ever received at (laughs) $34,000. And his face just falls. And Jim insists on a speech. And he stands, and he's just so excited for Dwight. Uh, of course, faux excitement. He's just thrilled that Dwight has gotten himself into this pickle. And the crowd applauds, and, and Jim is left standing, clapping a few seconds after everyone has stopped. And uh, <laughs> Dwight's speech is basically just berating everyone for the expensive dinner and the expensive decorations. And remember, it's, it's about the dogs. Not this, it's about them. And that's going to be my donation to you. Reminding you what's important, and he just runs away. <laughs> right. He tosses the microphone back to the MC and sprints out. <laughs> he is not planning on paying any of this. Uh, when Oscar initially pitches to Pam, oh, he, he's totally into me. Robert's totally into me. He gave me his cell phone number. He told me to call. Um, and he gave me this look, and he demonstrates the look. And she's like, oh, man, this is, this is serious. He gave you that look. And Jim says, okay, guys, not every glance means something, all right? Life isn't Downton Abbey. And Pam says, life is Downton Abbey. <laughs> Another silent auction thing. Kevin and Creed are talking about the jujitsu lessons that are being offered. And Kevin says, Creed, I just bid $20 on six jujitsu lessons. No one's raping this guy. And Creed gets very serious. Well, I don't want to be raped. And he picks up the clipboard. He says, 22 Kevin says, no, it was my idea not to be raped. (laughs) Uh, We can all not be raped. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We can all want that. (laughs) 
all the rest of my funny moments are Kevin moments because, Fair. like I said, he's good in this episode. It's a great episode. For he him. has a talking head. He says, "So Dwight, so Dwight doesn't understand silent auctions. I guess he's the stupid guy in the office, huh? Up till now, we didn't have one." <laughs> The, the implication being, we know that Kevin's kind of the stupid guy of the office, <laughs> but Kevin doesn't know that. Ryan is doing a little bit of research for Andy. He asks Andy if he's gotten into photography recently, and Andy says that he has. And Ryan says, what have you been shooting? Uh, children? Homeless people? And then they, they finish up the sentence together. Because in a way, they're more real than the rest of us. And we cut across to a Ryan talking head. He's like, oh, yeah, this guy's having a breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I've been there. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, next Kevin moment. Uh, at the end of the episode, when he has just been blatantly honest with Andy, you are miserable. This is the worst thing that has happened to you. Things are not going to get better. He has a talking head. He says, sometimes I feel like everyone I work with is an idiot. And by sometimes, I mean all times. All the times. <laughs> Every of the time. <laughs> there it is. That's, an, that's a great uh, Kevin quote. That's another one I quote all the time. Yeah, me too. Every of the time. Mild language alert. Of course, you've heard it in the episode, but Andy is up on stage accepting his dogs, and he says, hello, everyone. I am Andy Bernard, and I'm going to take that bitch home. That is a female dog reference. And he points to himself. <laughs> he says, this bitch understands loyalty. Sassy human reference. <laughs> <laughs> My last moment, as I said earlier, at the end of the episode, several of the members of the office do adopt some of those older dogs. And so they're talking about their dogs. Daryl says, you know, my dog Pepper, I think, uh, has gotten me out going on runs. So that's good. And Kevin then speaks up and says, my dog Ruby doesn't do anything. She just lays there all day. She's so chill. Pam says, what do you feed her? Kevin, well, I put out Pro Bow Wow, but she barely touches it. She's so dainty. She's, he's, he's showing around a picture on his phone of this dog just like literally laying there. There's no animation to it whatsoever. Daryl says, is she sick? How are her poops? Kevin says, she doesn't really poop. It's perfect. Nothing to pick up. She just kind of lies there all day like a good girl. I put on the TV for her, but I have to prop her eyes open so she could see it. Bam, does she smell? Kevin says, she smells horrible. It's unbelievable. But I don't want to put her in the bath because I'm afraid that she'll drown. The whole time there's like murmuring going around the office like, Kevin is clearly caring for a dead dog. Like, do we need to break this to him? Like, what, what do we need to do in this situation? Because that's the implication. And then, thankfully, <laughs> we cut to Kevin at his home. Um, and he's laying on the ground next to Ruby. And he says, people seem awful interested in you, Ruby. Guess they're just jealous, right? And Ruby picks up her head and starts licking Kevin's face. <laughs> he says, yeah, that a girl, that a girl. Man, that stinks. <laughs> so it's like, whew, everybody okay. breathes a collective sigh of relief because Kevin's dog is not dead. I remember the first time I watched that episode. And, I, and they cut to the dog, which for the first bit of, of Kevin being there with her, has not moved and i'm like oh they're really showing us what's supposed to be a dead dog i was like are they why would they do that no and then of course she moves <laughs> Ooh, okay okay <laughs> that was my last one as well awesome getting into deleted scenes we only have two 
First one, Andy and Aaron are now at their own table that Andy has purchased, and a guy comes up and he drops his glass off at one of the empty spots. And Andy scorns him. He says, hey, guy, what do you think this is, a bar? So he says this whole table is paid for. So the guy grabs his glass, sort of exasperated, and he leaves. Then Robert comes up and he commends Andy on his donation. He apologizes if there's any tension back there. And Andy says, there's no tension. You've just, you've just got to laugh at this stuff, but you've got to admit, it was a little messed up. Robert says, how so? And he says, well, you, you fired me and you gave the job to this chick that you like. Robert denies it. And he says, look, I, I'm not mad. We're past it. But at least admit it's weird. And uh, Robert still won't. He's just sort of staring Andy down at this point. And this whole time, Aaron's interrupting, trying to dissolve tension. She's joking about having to eat all the entrees on the table. And, hey, Robert, do you think I could, I could eat all of these? Because personally, I don't think I can. I'm already so full. And then the MC comes up and tells Robert that they're ready for him. And he just sort of stares daggers at Andy for a second before he leaves. He says, excuse me. And Andy just says, excused. <laughs> Things are getting tense. Yeah. And then the other one was Robert questioning Andy. I should clarify, we have two Roberts. Robert California questioning Andy mm-hmm. about adopting the 12 special needs dogs and wonders if Andy doesn't see this as a desperate cry for attention. And basically, Andy just says, I think I would know if I'm desperately crying. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure he's been doing that a little bit as well. But right. yeah, that's, uh, those are the two deleted scenes that did not make it into the producer's cut. Okay, well, let's get into our discussion topic. Now, I actually have to give you credit for this one. I, I was having trouble <laughs> thinking of one. So this is your question. <laughs> okay. What did Andy mean when he said it's about being there for someone when it becomes inconvenient for them to be around? He said that when he adopted the dogs. I, I want to say that that wording was chosen very specifically by Andy to say that this is what Robert did to me. And now this is what I'm not going to do to these, to these dogs. I, I'm going to be there for them, whereas Robert wasn't there for me. Now, where I'm struggling is, he says, when it's inconvenient for them to be around. Like, is he insinuating that he was inconvenient to be around? Uh, because I, I, I don't really think that was the choice. They were going to keep him around. It was just, um, there was a sort of a conflict of interest between Robert and Andy and mm. putting Nellie in the position versus putting Andy in the position. So, I mean, I, I don't know if it exactly applies, but I just thought the wording was really interesting if Andy was trying to one-up Robert in a certain way. I took it more as he was being perceived as being inconvenient to be around after he was fired. Like he was just around the office and he was around the dinner and no mm. one wanted him there. Uh, that, see, I, that didn't even occur to me. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So he was like, it's inconvenient for me to be here, but I need someone like I need, I need you to let me be here. Uh, so that's why he didn't think it was weird for him to be there, but the others did. Mm-hmm. And because uh, he needed to be included, he he needed a little bit of normalcy. And when they excluded him is when he really lost it. So I think that's what he was talking about. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm glad you posited that version because I didn't even think about it that way. Cool. Well, we have one voicemail since the last time we recorded. It's been uh, we recorded these pretty close together, but let's listen to it. OK, this is Corey from Oregon. Hey, John and Katie. It is Corey from Oregon. Hope you guys had uh, a good 4th of July. Just a quick comment about Robert, California. Um, man, it just, it always seemed like he he and Andy had, you know, a rocky relationship. But uh, 
for him to just throw in to the side in a matter of minutes, maybe even seconds over Nelly. And I love Nelly. Um, but, you know, as Chad was saying and, and Katie, just, I just, for Robert to, like, why, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of confusing, just confusing to me that Robert would just throw Andy and that whole relationship that he has with him to the side after Andy has been trying to impress him and has impressed him. Um, and just for Nelly. Uh, but anyway, that's my two cents. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. So there wasn't explicitly a question there, but the, the sort of insinuated question was, you know, why was Robert so quick to throw Andy aside for Nelly, especially after the first half of the season being about uh, Andy trying to appease Robert and trying to impress him and trying to prove that he was a good choice for manager. Uh, and then all of a sudden, sorry, Andy, you weren't there. Here we go. Nelly gets your job instead. So, uh, do you have any sort of explanation there? I mean, I think a big, huge part of it is Robert just being sexually attracted to Nelly. I think mm-hmm. that's the bulk of it. There was something that you mentioned earlier in this episode, or at least our episode, um, mm-hmm. that could explain another reason, and I promptly forgot what it was. But uh, oh, it was yeah, the scene that was added know. in the producer's <laughs> cut for Angry Andy. Um, where Robert said, you left. You, this was something that was really easy to do without you having to leave, and still you left. You left your job behind. I called you, and I asked you to be in at work that day, and you were not in at work that day. So it was... The, the way Andy went about this was just so antithetic to what Robert's expectations of him were, which were to be there and do your job. And Andy was not there to do that. He didn't give any sort of warning that he wasn't going to be there to do that. He was just gone. And so it was a combination of Andy abandoning his post and Nelly showing up, Robert being attracted to Nelly and Nelly filling that position that it was just like, well, I've got to make a decision here and Nelly's the one I choose. Right. So that's my answer. And I, that, that's why I think that that particular scene in the producer's cut episode is really, really important because it, it it's Robert accusing Andy of something where we don't get that in the normal episode. Right. It is a little bit unclear in the final versions of everything. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, that's the end of the official 93rd episode of An American Workplace. Thanks for the voicemail, Corey. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. As we said earlier, we were at ni- 199 ratings, and we would love to pass that 200 mark. You can also email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. And if you would like to be heard on the show via voicemail as well, you can dial 93-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329 if you would like to be heard on the show. Try and keep it to a minute or under. Be specific. Ask your question. Say your nice things. Whatever it is you have, uh, we'd love to hear from you. We love the nice thing. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place for me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And there's my other podcast, Cinescope, which you can find where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. If you want... If you want a shout out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page. 
and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 93 of An American Workplace. And get this, we are on the last episodes of season eight. That's crazy. Make sure to join us in episode 94 for our discussion on the final two episodes of season eight, Turf War and Free Family Portrait. Bye. Bye. trying to make Andy feel better. She says, if it makes you feel any better, I never had an orgasm to...